Mark 15, verses 16 through 32. It's in the bulletin on page three. There's more bulletins right behind this room on the table if we need them. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I'm going to quote for you a 19th century, excuse me, yeah, 19th century scholar, Max Mueller. He was the global authority on world religions in the mid-1800s. This is what he writes at the end of his career. He says, for 40 years, I carried out my duties as professor of Sanskrit, I devoted as much time to the study of the holy books of the East as any other human being in the world. Let's not close our eyes to whatever is noble and true and pleasing in all these holy books. But I venture to speak of what I have found to be the basic note, the one single chord of all these holy books, be it the Veda of the Brahmins, the Purana of Siva and Vishnu, the Quran of the Muslims, the Sandavesta of the Parsis, etc. The one basic note or chord that runs through all of them is salvation by works. They all teach that salvation must be bought and that your own works and merits must be the purchase price. But there is one holy book from the East, one other one, the Bible, that contains the message that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The verses we just read in Mark 15, there's a number of ways of reading them. 
if you're coming in without any familiarity with the Bible, you're reading a few paragraphs of a man's terrible suffering. A passive man's terrible and personal suffering. But with a little more context, you know that this is the climax. It's chapter 15 of 16, if you've read ahead. You know, this doesn't have to be a surprise ending for you. We're in chapter 15 of 16 of a book that begins in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, describing the whole story as good news. Gospel is the word, according to Mark. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Good news. And so if you're reading, you know, imagine the, the first audiences who didn't know anything about Jesus. You're reading along, and you know, there's only a little bit of parchment left if you're reading this for the first time. You're like, this doesn't look like good news right now. This man is being brutally beaten, mocked, spit upon, and crucified. Where's the good news? Well, as Max Muller quoted, there isn't just something passive that's happening to Jesus in these verses. There's something that he's doing, and that thing is saving sinners. And we know that the gospel writer Mark had this in mind as he describes in these paragraphs a man just being beaten and spit upon. Jesus is suffering here personally, yes, but he is also doing something gracious for us, actively saving us in two ways. And they're both good news. He is sharing our suffering and he is bearing our sins. And I want to show you how I get this right out of the text. So it's going to be good to have your eyes on it when I refer back. First, in these verses, Jesus is sharing our suffering. Again, when I say that this is a passage where things happen to Jesus, where he's passive, I mean there is not one active verb that Jesus performs, except for one where it describes what he does not do. He does not accept wine mixed with myrrh, which as best we can understand it, was a kind of uh, way of dulling the pain of being brutally beaten and crucified. So the only active verb is something that describes something he did not do. He's somebody who's acted upon in these verses. And let's just count some of the ways in these 16 verses that he's acted upon. First, he is arrested. He's trapped, captured. And by the way, ask if you relate to any of these things that are happening to Jesus. He's trapped. He's publicly mocked. He loses all popularity. Not so long ago, he was being praised in the streets, coming down the mountain into Jerusalem. All that's gone now. Loss of popularity. He is physically and spiritually shamed in public. He's falsely accused. He did not do what he's being accused of. He's abandoned. Not one friend left. Worse than that, he's betrayed. The one that was his friend among the twelve sold him. He is the victim of a careful, carefully planned, malicious plot. 
And finally, I mean, there might be more. This is just my list of what I see. He is walking toward a death sentence that's then carried out. And all of the other stuff continues while he's on the cross. So all this being said, of course, there's also the stuff that we don't read about that must be there. Like back at the end of chapter 14, if Jesus is to be believed that he is who he says he is, the Son of Man who will come on the clouds to judge. If that's true, then this is actually a new low for the whole cosmos. The creation is turning against the creator in a fresh way. But today we're just going to talk about what we would have seen if we were right there watching. That's what Mark focuses on in these passages. Next week is more of the transcendent stuff. What in the world does this mean eternally? And people reflecting back, what just happened? So stay tuned. Here, it's just what is happening before our eyes right now? And why are we given this account of the Son of Man letting himself be crucified? I'd like to note all these verses that describe these terrible things that are happening, they're not all that unique. Crucifixion happened to thousands of others in Jesus' own lifetime. The shame, the mockery, the being spit upon, this has happened to some in this room. So, what's unique about it? Why is it important that Jesus experiences all of this? And how is it good news? Let me explain it this way. When I was in high school, I took a civics class with Mr. Dudley. And uh, he would stop you in the hallway, and he told you he was going to do this. And he would stop you in the hallway and point his finger right at you and say, quick, tell me who's your congressional representative. Or tell me who's your representative in Harrisburg. And you had to give him an answer, uh, or it affected your final grade. It was the only class I ever had that you had a pop quiz, not just in class, but at any moment during the school year. One time, I swear to you, I ran into him at the mall. <laughs> and he would want to know. And he said, actually, that was very much the point. Because he says, this isn't about a class. This is about your whole life. Because when you send someone to Washington or Harrisburg or city council or school, school board or whatever, when it's a representative, when they're there, you're there. They represent you. And so you better believe that they have your best interests at heart, but more than that, that they get you, that they actually aren't just a representative, but they actually actively represent you, your experience, what you know of the world, what you care about. And this is your life. This is not a symbol, representative government. It is a reality, and it's your whole life. And when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is a representative in exactly the same way, except it's not in Harrisburg, it's not in city council, it's not in Washington. He represents us, not in a symbolic way, in a very real way, before the throne of God in heaven. And that means he better actually know us. He better have something to do with us as the one human being who represents all of us before God in heaven. And that means sharing in what we know 
sharing in what we taste, sharing in what we've gone through. When he's there, we're there. And I'm not going to go into this. This is a whole other, well, these are whole epistles of the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul says stuff like, consider yourself already in the heavenly places, that's what he means. Act like you're in heaven now, not so you'll just wait to die here on earth, but that you'll live in active awareness of the fact that your representative is in heaven before the throne and he's not going anywhere. And he stands there for you. Live like that now. All that being said, Jesus is establishing that on the cross right now. Let me explain how. We all know there's no shortage of grief in the world. Jesus, your Savior, knows about it all. Let me tell you this. One of the biggest mistakes I've made in ministry and just in friendship is when people are pouring out their heart of the ways they've suffered, and I've said, and I wish I could take it back, I know what you're going through. False, actually. I've gone through some stuff. But I've not walked in your unique shoes, in your unique story. I don't know it. Jesus Christ does. And the best thing I can do is offer his empathy, which is way better than my own. I promise you. There's no one who can say to Jesus, you don't know. Because he shares it with you and he shares it with everybody. Where you've been, Jesus says, I've been there. And that means also right now, he says, I am here. Certainly by his Holy Spirit, I am here. I'm with you. I use that illustration again in prayer. kind of just came to me. He's not the God at the top of the stairs that says, climb up to me. He comes down into your experience in the pain and the joys and all the humanness as we read in our words of encouragement after confession today, also being tempted in every single way as you have. He knows all about you. He's with you, and he lifts you up. And this is a very important part of our salvation. Whatever he hasn't assumed about our humanity and experience, the church father said, that's not saved. But the good news is he's assumed all of it, all of our humanity, all of our experiences, and he represents all of it before the Father in heaven. There's not one person Jesus Christ can't represent before the throne. And that's good news, even though he's being treated terribly. It's achieving a good end. So he shares our suffering. That's the first thing. And here's the second thing. And it's probably more to the point of this passage, though we need both. He shares our suffering, but here's the bigger point of this passage. He bears our sin. Here's where I really need you to look down at these verses again. In contrast to the lack of action on Jesus' part, look how many ways Jesus is acted upon by others. Verse 16 through 20. And look who's doing it. Verses 16 through 20 are the Roman soldiers. What are they doing? They're leading him away. They're clothing him in a purple robe, mocking his reign. And with a crown of thorns, mocking his reign. Then they strip it all off of him, and they beat him and they spit upon him, and then they crucify him. So the Roman soldiers are there actively beating him down, but they're not the only ones. Who else? The general populace is walking by, deriding him. This is verse 29. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. 
and saying, aha, aha. It's an old mocking phrase from the Psalms, actually. So the Roman soldiers, the general, genuine, uh, the general populace is there mocking him. Who else? The scribes and priests are mocking him, verse 31. The chief priests, the scribes, mocked him to one another. Who else? Verse 32, we read that even the criminals crucified next to him reviled him. The only person in these verses not mocking or killing Jesus is his cross-bearer, Simon of Cyrene. I don't know if anybody read the book that we recommended alongside Reading While Black during Black History Month, but the other one was The African Memory of Mark. Mark was African, and so was the cross-bearer of Jesus. And that's probably why we're given him his name and his two sons' names, Alexander and Rufus, because these people came most likely from Mark's hometown, and that's where Mark started proclaiming the gospel particularly after he left Paul during his missionary journey. That's, again, that's, that's all on the side. Go back to that book. It's fantastic. He's the only one, this African, this Cyrenian, carrying Jesus' cross. But even here, there's an indictment. You know why? Who really should be carrying Jesus' cross? His disciples. Where are they? His best friends. They're gone. Even the one innocent is really there to represent guilt. The soldiers, the populace, the scribes, the priests, the criminals, his disciples. What's Mark's point? His point is, at the cross, there is not one innocent witness. Let me say that again. There's not one innocent witness. Every kind of person you can imagine is there. And everyone is culpable for Jesus' death. There is no innocent witness. Sinners were everywhere that day, just like sinners are everywhere here this morning. The whole world is at the foot of the cross, and Christ is here for them actively, pouring his life out for their salvation, bearing all of their sins away. That is Mark's point. So let me again be clear. Even if you weren't there that day, spitting on, mocking, beating, reviling, deriding Jesus Christ, you have mocked, derided, abandoned, and betrayed others. I mean, talk about representation. What does Jesus say? Whatever you've done to the least among you, you have done to me. That's how this whole thing works. And again, this is a whole other sermon series, and I'm sad that I didn't work this into our series on conflict last year. And in the stream of a very long line of and in the stream of a very long line of Christian thinkers and writers, I've had to, with some of you, and with some people in my own immediate family, because I do do them harm, I've had to begin saying, when I get in the presence of somebody else, behold Christ our God and King. Not because they're God, but because Christ is here. And I better be careful. Because he died for them. And what I do to the least among us, I do in some mystical way 
to him. That's true. And that should make us tremble, but also rejoice because he died for that sin too. That's how representation works. That's how total it is. So let me close like this, gang. There's this beautiful old Lenten prayer. It's a Good Friday prayer. We're not going to do that this year because we're planning a Good Friday service with Urban Worship Center, just like we, we did for Christmas Eve. But there's this beautiful old Lenten prayer that walks through different characters in Scripture. And we identify with the sins of each of them. And let me give you an example. Maybe from years back you remember this. We've done it in the, in the past. Here's the language of it. We all say, Adam, slave to disobedience, where are you? And we all say, I am here. Eve, slave to unbelief, where are you? And we all say, I am here. Thomas, slave to doubt, where are you? And you can all say it with me if you want. I am here. Peter. Slave to fear. Where are you? I am here. Judas. Slave to greed. Where are you? I am here. Ernest Hemingway wrote this really great short story about Good Friday called Today is Friday. And it's about three Roman soldiers who just crucified Jesus and they're at the bar later that night. It's free, you can just Google it. They're getting drunk after the crucifixion of Jesus, kind of ignoring the horrors of their job and drinking them away like they normally do. Because again, this happened all the time. Ignoring the horrors of their job and talking about how Jesus handled the whole thing. And one of them, like the only one who's really emotionally and spiritually aware, keeps saying, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I really feel like hell. And he keeps saying that line, I really feel like hell. I really feel like hell. And I love that story because most of us move through the world dimly aware that we are Judas, we are Peter, we are Thomas, we are Eve, we are Adam, but we have to keep putting it away. We have to find some way not to live with that terrible reality, except for the fact that simply saying, I am here, as Adam and Eve wouldn't say in the garden when God asked, where are you? Simply saying, I am here, invites all that belovedness of God to come back to us. Because what happens when we're willing to say, I am here? and not say, it's her fault, it's his fault, it's their fault. I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't at the cross that day. I'm no Christ killer. But if we say, I am here, all that rushes back to us is, he did this for you. Of course you're here. And what do you think he'll say back if you're willing to risk that statement, I am here? He'll say, anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. And as we said in our confession today, come to me, he'll say, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, and there's no rest, none, for those who won't admit what's true, but for those who do, 
there's all the forgiveness you can imagine. All the welcome you can imagine from God himself. The grace of God invites us to say, I am right here. No avoiding. My sins condemn me, but the judge himself has taken them on himself and borne them away out of love. Christ came as one of us to bear our sins away. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.